0: Chapter Six of A Water Biography by Robert C. Leslie. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org Chapter 6. I leave my keelpiece and plank to season, and take a trip in a steamer with my wife and children to New York. The U.S. paddle steamer Arago, Captain Lines. We land in New York, up the Hudson, a musical boat, the Calliope. Break down at Tarrytown we take to the rail niagara not improved since i first saw it why down hudson by night dragging over the flats we embark for liverpool in the canada description of her a fog we run down the rover's bride A STEWARD'S FIRST IDEA OF HEIS ON HEARING OUR ENGINE STOP. WHY? THE ROVER'S BRIDE FORSAKEN AND HER CREW TAKEN ON BOARD OUR SHIP. A ROUGH PASSAGE AND NEAR SHAVE AFTER LANDING PASSENGERS AT QUEENSTOWN. HEAVY GALE IN IRISH CHANNEL. Soldiers on board ship at night. Land at Liverpool and return to Sidmouth. In the meantime, with a view to increased efficiency in the personal crew of the Rip Van Winkle, a scheme of mobilization was carried out in the shape of a short preliminary cruise across the Atlantic and back. To which end, after shutting up our house at Sidmouth and confiding the domestic cat and dog to the care of Harry Conant, my wife, three children, and self sailed from Cowes Roads for New York on April fourth, 1860, in the United States mail steamer Arago, Captain Lines." This well-known packet was one of a line of two American-built paddle-wheelers, the Arago and Fulton, between Avre and New York, touching at cows each trip. We therefore joined our ship in a tender or tug from Southampton. The weather was roughish all the way across, the captain telling my wife, that it was a regular winter passage. If so, it was not a bad one, for we made Sandy Hook in fourteen days. Captain Lines had been for many years skipper of one of the old Avre and New York sailing packets, and the Arago was one of the most comfortable, well-appointed vessels I have ever been aboard of. She was flush-decked over all, and had large, dry, well-ventilated staterooms and cabins warmed by steam, and lighted all night by mineral oil lamps. She was entirely free from any shippy smell, and the French cooking on board was excellent. Captain Lines who was part owner, looked personally into all details on board, and to the comfort of every passenger. "'If, sir, you have anything to complain of on board this ship,' said he, "'don't make your complaint to any subordinate or steward, but just come straight to me.' IN A WORD, HE WAS CAPTAIN OF HIS OWN SHIP, AND ALL HIS OFFICERS AND SERVANTS KNEW IT. IF OURS WAS A ROUGH PASSAGE, OR, AS THE CAPTAIN SAID, A REGULAR WINTER PASSAGE, THE ARAGO MUST HAVE BEEN A REMARKABLY DRY BOAT, FOR FROM FIRST TO LAST SHE SHIPPED NO SOLID WATER. And at no time would a man right forward on her deck have had anything over him but light spray. She carried corrugated iron boats, two of which were upon the forecastle, just abaft her anchors. And asking the captain whether he had ever lost either of these, he said, "No." He had carried them there winter and summer for eight years, or ever since the ship had been running, and except for painting, they had never been moved. There were numbers of very pleasant American passengers on board the Arago, and I was amused on leaving the ship to see how in order to get through an unruly mob of Irish cab drivers gathered on the wharf, the American lady passengers led the attack, the cabmen making way for them while their lords and masters followed through the opening made for them by the chivalrous cabbies. We landed on April 19th and spent a pleasant five weeks in the States, visiting Niagara, Trenton Falls, etc. During these trips I was struck with the alteration in the country we passed through. Nothing left now of primeval forests, or even remains of the log cabins which, when I was last there, dotted all the clearings. Our first water travel was an attempt to ascend the Hudson by steamer, ending soon after starting at Tarrytown, where, after the boat had stopped for some time, I was informed that she would go no farther, the crosshead of her engine having broken. This boat, the Armenian, had a powerful organ or calliope on board, operated by steam, which discoursed hideous music continually until this accident, when an accumulated head of steam blew off with a noise that quite drowned the inharmonious voice of this calliope. Our passage-money was returned and landing by a ferry-boat we continued our way up the hudson by rail at niagara we found on may first the front of the falls blocked by two great icebergs formed during winter by the frozen spray i noticed changes not i think for the better here in a great increase IN THE MANY VULGAR TEA-GARDEN-LIKE ADDITIONS IN THE IMMEDIATE VICINITY OF THE FALLS, WHICH DID MUCH TO LESSEN THE IMPRESSIVENESS OF THE SCENE. IT IS NOT EASY FOR MAN IN THE nineteenth CENTURY TO MEDDLE WITH WATERFALLS OR MOUNTAIN AND RIVER SCENERY WITHOUT SPOILING SOME NATURAL BEAUTY. On our way back to New York, we went down the Hudson by night in the celebrated steamer New World. It was a splendid moonlit night, and I remained on deck much of the time. Here again I found there was a chance of our river trip being cut short. I was sitting by an American fellow passenger when I remarked to him, that we were not making much headway.' "'No, sir,' he replied. "'She is dragging over the flats. I guess we will get on faster shortly.' I inquired, "'How long we should be getting over these shallows?' "'Well, you see, sometimes they have to wait a while when the river's low.' "'How long?' I asked. "'Well, "'That just depends, you know, upon when the rain happens. "'Sometimes they are stopped a few days, "'sometimes two or three weeks. "'However, I guess we are going ahead again tonight.'" Our return to England was made from Boston, in the Cunard Steamer, Canada. She was one of the old-fashioned, wooden, bluff-bowed paddle-boats, driven by engines powerful enough to keep her fore saloon in such a constant state of vibration that it was not easy even to write there both fore and aft saloons were on deck protected by bulwarks six feet high in bad weather this upper deck was constantly washed by the sea and in heavy gales a strong breakwater, three feet high, was rigged across it, forward of the paddle boxes to keep the sea out of her engine room. We had a four-berth cabin, almost in the eyes of the ship. The usual allowance of thick, cold fog was met to the eastward of the banks, and all day large drops of condensed vapour fell on deck from the rigging like those before thunder. But beyond the rush of grey water past the ship and the beat of her paddles, there was nothing in the blank round us to indicate that we were moving. Still on we thumped through it at a steady twelve knots, The officer, as he paced to and fro on the bridge, keeping what lookout he could, every five minutes pulling a small cord near the great red funnel, followed by a dismal squeak, which told us below that the fog was as thick as ever. The Canada was a strong old ship, and under full speed, easy to steer. AN ICEBERG, HOWEVER, HAS NO EARS FOR THE LOUDEST FOGHORN, AND IT IS A MERE GAME OF BLIND hooky IN CASE OF MEETING ONE, OR OF THE DEVIL TAKING THE WEAKEST IN A COLLISION WITH ANOTHER SHIP. IT IS STRANGE HOW SOON ONE GETS HARDENED TO THIS STATE OF THINGS and we began to feel as much confidence in the blind rush of the ship over the sea as in the world itself rolling through space. This was especially the case in the forecabin, where, after dinner on the third day of the fog, we sat chatting over a few walnuts the steam whistle had been silent for over ten minutes and a passenger a yankee skipper remarked that he guessed the fog are clard some when almost as he spoke there came a stampede over our heads as though the ship had been boarded by savages the engine stopped and looking out of the four-saloon door, I saw looming high above our bows the gray flat form of two large topsails. It was the sight of these which had sent the men on the lookout and other hands forward, rushing aft in dread of falling spars, etc., Our bow was already flying round rapidly to port when we struck a brig and twisted her stem and bowsprit round almost at a right angle. And though our engines had stopped and reversed, we still held way enough to pass her at over five miles an hour so that she was lost in the fog almost before the officer on deck had time to take her bearings. One of her crew, however, contrived to jump onto our bowsprit rigging and climb on board us. Luckily, the blow we hit the brig forward was hard enough to spin her bow round clear of our cathead anchor, boats, and davits. In fact, no damage of any sort appeared to have been sustained by the Canada, from which a boat was at once lowered, and in charge of the first officer went away to look after the brig. The stopping of the engines and noise head, of course, brought every passenger on deck while even the cooks and stewards peered out of their dens among the paddle-boxes. One of these, a steward with a plate and napkin in his hands, rather amused me as he looked forward at the brig's sails with the remark of, Oh, I thought it were heiss! After which he went on polishing his plate as though there was nothing ahead of us. As he retreated again into his pantry, I said, "'You don't seem to care much about running into another vessel.' He answered, "'Well, not much, because, you see, "'we've four foot of solid timber in our bows, "'and going as we does, "'very few vessels would hurt us. "'But two year back we ran stem into a iceberg.' "'and was all knocked huff our legs by the shock, "'and our bowsprit and head was crumpled into matchwood, "'while that foc'sle deck there was lifted up like a leaf. "'And lucky for us it was fine weather, "'for we had to get all the bedding into her bows "'and put a sail round outside afore we dared go ahead.' and then had to steam eight hundred miles back to Halifax, the have put into her. As the Canada lay rolling heavily in the swell, there was plenty of time to note how her great orange-red funnel formed the only mass of color relief among the gray mystery around her and how white and opaque the new-made steam told among the fog as it roared in dense masses from her safety-valves. For the boat was away over an hour before, just in the direction no one was looking for it, came the sound of oars, and a few minutes later the loom of the boat on top of a swell. On coming alongside, the officer told our captain that, though the master and mate of the brig would stay by her, the crew refused to do so, as she was salt-laden, and her planking was started forward down to the water-line. Under these circumstances there was nothing for it but to send the carpenter in order to a survey being held before abandoning the brig. Another two hours passed rolling in the fog before the Canada's boat again returned and with her that of the rover's bride from Cadiz with salt for St. John's, Newfoundland, forty days out from Gibraltar. As her ancient master and older mate and crew of four men climbed up the Canada's side, it was curious to note the small amount of their worldly goods. The skipper was carefully nursing an old mercurial weather-glass, while in the boat lay a large bundle of water-stained charts— his ship's timekeeper and compass with something in a blue band box the old mate came on board with a gray parrot in a cage in one hand and a large bundle of clothes done up in a blue cotton handkerchief in the other for the rest the luggage mainly consisted of oilskins and dirty bundles of bedding some stowed in hammocks, others merely corded round with rope. Altogether we were delayed four hours, and had scarcely gone ahead five minutes before the fog lifted. And there lay the old brig, with main topsail aback, about a mile off, with her boat also adrift between us and her. THE EVENING REMAINED CLEAR, AND WE DID NOT LOSE SIGHT OF HER FOR AN HOUR. HER OLD MASTER AND MATE LOOKED SAD AND LOST AS THEY PACED OUR DECK. THE CAPTAIN HAD BEEN SIXTEEN YEARS IN HIS BRIG, AND HIS MATE, WHO WAS MORE THAN SEVENTY, HAD BEEN IN HER EIGHT YEARS. THEY TOLD US THE sea grass WAS A FOOT LONG ON HER BOTTOM and that if she made over four knots, she frightened them. They heard nothing of us until they heard our paddles a short time before we struck them. Had the Canada been a long modern steamer, she must have gone clear over or through this vessel, when no doubt all hands on board her would have perished. THE OLD MATE WAS MUCH DISTRESSED AT BEING CARRIED OFF TO LIVERPOOL BECAUSE HE WAS HOPING TO MEET A SON AT ST. JOHN'S WHOM HE HAD NOT SEEN FOR YEARS, AND WHO, AS HE SAID, AT HIS TIME OF LIFE HE COULD NOW NEVER HOPE TO MEET AGAIN. ACCORDING TO MY WIFE'S JOURNAL, THE WHOLE OF THIS PASSAGE WAS ROUGH but I remember no weather or incident of consequence from the time of our parting with the brig until the evening of May 27th, when, after landing most of our passengers at Queenstown, the weather got thick with a strong wind to the southward. We were all sitting at tea when a cry out on deck was followed by the engine stopping. And looking out, I found nearly all the ship's company, including the engineer and some of the stokers, on deck, some even half up the fore-rigging. The cause of which excitement was not far off, for within one hundred and fifty yards of our lee bow the sea was breaking heavily over what i afterwards learnt was the Conningbeg rock on which a lighthouse was then building i was close to the captain who had just run on deck from dinner and heard him say hastily dear me i'd no idea we'd run so far and that fore tricele on her too get that sail in all sail evolutions on board the canada were usually carried out to the tune of the bo'sun's whistle but i noticed that on this occasion no use of that instrument was made and long before the banging canvas was brailed up our engines were going full speed astern. Owing to the wind and sea, it was some moments, however, before the ship's way was checked even by them, and I had time to notice a little brig running for waterford inside the reef, wallowing along under a foresail and close reef topsails. The old master of the rover's bride was among others in the fore-rigging, frantically waving his hat and singing out, It's breakers, I tell ye, it's breakers! I have been in one or two near squeaks in boats, etc., but I confess that I never passed a more anxious thirty seconds at sea than I did on board that Cunader, until I saw that she really began to gather sternway. And I have thought since how we should have fared had she been a longer ship. As it was, she was only saved by the powerful back action of her great paddles. We spent the night after this little shave, in a gale, head to sea, in St. George's Channel. And when we landed at Liverpool, at 4 p.m. next day, saw by the evening papers that some anxiety had been felt for the Canada. The gale, though short, having for a time, exceeded in force that of the night on which the royal charter was lost i made an attempt to get on deck in the height of it about daybreak but the sea was two feet deep outside the fore saloon and was washing aft until stopped by the breakwater Below we had a lively time, for ladies were flopping about and fainting on and off in the passage not far from our cabin, while about two in the morning a party of nine invalided soldiers who were berthed forward on the other side of the ship, just after a heavier head sea than usual struck us rushing along their passage almost naked, yelling, She's struck! She's struck! Which comforting information did not, of course, tend to revive the other passengers in that part of the ship. No lights were allowed below after 9 p.m., and in our cabin i was not a little surprised and pleased at the foresight of our youngest child katie when i heard her say quietly from her berth, there is a piece of wax candle in my pocket if pa can find it and how we found it and stuck it alight in an empty basin and by it were able to be of some use and comfort to one or two of the unhappy ladies who lay fainting and terrified on the floor outside our cabin. The old master of the rover's bride was a Welshman named Bowen, and before landing growled much over our shave off the salties, and how the board of trade would hear about it. HE HAD A STRANGE YARN ALSO, THAT WHEN THE COURSE WAS SET, AFTER LEAVING QUEENSTOWN, HE SENT HIS OLD MATE aft TO LOOK AT THE COMPASS, AND WHEN TOLD THE COURSE, SAID, GO AND LOOK AGAIN, AND THAT ON HIS RETURN THE MATE SAID, EAST BY NORTH, MR. BOWEN. YES, SIR, HE USED MY NAME. THEN, SIR, I SAID, "'we shall shortly see or feel something arder than my old brig.' "'But these little on and scandals were forgotten "'among all classes of passengers an hour or two after landing at Liverpool. "'And I don't suppose the Board of Trade was ever troubled by Mr. Bowen. "'Though I noted among the shipping news many weeks afterwards, that his old brig, the Rover's Bride, was seen and reported as a derelict, in longitude blank, latitude blank, quite a fortnight after we last saw her. On regaining our happy West Country Valley after this little cruise, my wife made the astounding statement, THAT SHE THOUGHT SHE SHOULD NEVER FEEL UNCOMFORTABLE AGAIN, WHICH IS JUST HOW Crusoe EXPRESSED HIMSELF, WHEN, WITH SOME LITTLE DIFFICULTY, HE RELANDED UPON HIS ISLAND AFTER HIS FIRST ATTEMPT TO CIRCUMNAVIGATE IT. BUT THIS BLISSFUL STATE OF MIND SELDOM STANDS THE WEAR AND TEAR OF EVEN A FEW MONTHS. On the beach I found things just as I had left them, and soon had the foam and her little tender in commission. Our dog and cat were quite glad to see us, though for a fortnight after we left, Buzz, the dog, according to Conant, refused almost all kinds of food, even as Conant said, A bit of fish. End of chapter six.